0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary.
1: You can't beat the sound of a contented cat.
0: extremely sharp in terms of trying to find that little rabbit hole in the system. And he puts everybody in that prison and around him on edge. You know, you take one of those suspected uh, ringleaders out, the business model doesn't stop. The flow of cocaine is not becoming smaller, it's becoming bigger. The amount of money is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger.
1: I'm Nicola Tallentz, And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. Journalist Jan Mayes, a senior reporter at NRC in Amsterdam, didn't start out as a crime hack, but since he made the transition from his finance beat, he's become one of the best known in the Netherlands. His latest book, The She Damse Cocaine Mafia, tells the story of a corrupt customs officer, seasoned criminals and thousands of kilos of coke. While his podcasts, including Cocaine Fever, follow the story of a young criminal who becomes the head of an international mafia and questions what that says about the Netherlands. So what does the changing underworld say about both his native country and mine? And are we as journalists equipped to deal with a new breed of gangster who has simply no regard for the structures that uphold our societies? Today, in my second dispatch from the Marengo trial, I'm talking to Jan about the growing threat of organised crime in a Europe that continues to party hard on a diet of cocaine. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com.
0: Wow, what a different setting. Yeah, You know each other from Zoom.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, right, well, we were there today, and of course we could tell kind of what was happening by the reaction of the journalists. Um, there was a... You were expecting it because you told me you thought it was going to happen, but everybody was sort of incredulous maybe when they heard it out loud, were they?
0: Yeah, because, you know... You s- you kind of know what's going to happen. He's going to do, you know, he wants to talk about his defense, sensitive issue, lawyer arrested. So he's going to request, can we have the doors closed? Doesn't happen that often, but it's it happens mm. uh, in sensitive matters. And then this court is just so, uh, they're avoiding any type of conflict or issue. And they don't want to give, nobody, the feeling that they didn't get an honest trial. So, of course, you know, if he says, if it's not closed, I'm not going to say anything, you know, what they're going to do. It's Mm -hmm. also, you, you know, so it's a balancing act. But then, you know, they make us wait for an hour and then you get a statement. Yeah, of course, everything was discussed here is behind closed doors, so we can't say anything about it. You know, there's also people for the press from the court, so just, you know, tell us that. So basically, they
1: they what he said is ultimately he doesn't have his legal team yet. He hasn't no. made a decision yet as whether or not he's
0: going to represent himself or whether. Uh, no, I think he, he he has decided he doesn't want to represent okay. himself. And the court has made clear this is a big case. There is you know a DA who wants you behind bars for the rest of your life. Uh, so we want you to have a proper defense. Mm. So that's really uh, their, has been their position since his previous uh, lawyer, Ines Wesky, got arrested in April. And, but it's apparently just hard to find uh, a new lawyer. And there was one lawyer who announced a couple of weeks ago in an interview in the newspaper that he was going to represent, uh, represent Tachi. Mm-hmm. But then he did not file Formally, that he is the new lawyer of Tahi. So the court says, yeah, if somebody doesn't file, no. and then they went something, uh, it's, it's legal detail, but they went the extra step to actually call a lawyer. I mean, a court never does. Who, what court calls a lawyer because mm. he gave an interview in the newspaper? you know, come to us. But they went to him to say, listen, you know, what's your status? What's going on? And apparently he has said that there is no status. And whether this is, you know, whether this is games uh, for, played for whatever reason, I have no clue. Um, but um, there is no legal team as of yet. And then there's, you know, before uh, his previous lawyer, Oleski, got arrested, she did, at really at the end of the trial, she did uh, a number of requests. And those requests relate to a story. It's a crazy story. If it's too complicated, let me know. But it's really Mm -hmm. a crazy story. There is this we have this black ops uh, commando team. And there is this one guy, and he's now suspect in uh, a drugs case. And he claims that uh, before Tahi was arrested in Dubai, he was asked if it would be possible for this black ops commando team to have Tahi apprehended by them in Dubai, or have have him basically have him killed in Dubai. Um, this, of course, raises tons of questions. Is this really true? Who is this guy? Is this legit? Um, and these are supposed to be like government sponsors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This black ops. Yeah, this is a government sponsored black ops team, and the guy who does this, his his name is Sill, His first name is Sil. Uh, he is a well known operative in this world. So he's a, in his in the world of military police, commando, as far as that goes. He is a very respected person. So there is some reason to, you know, at least listen to him and see what he has to say. But he has become involved in this legal case where he's been accused of, of weapons dealing and and drug dealing. And the thing is, he has a friend, is a, a friend he knows from his childhood, and that friend became a criminal. Mm-hmm. And he is loosely related to Tahi. So oh, when that friend was arrested, you know, the headlines were, you know, there was a, a previous commando who was, you know, doing stuff for Tachi. And then if you know that there was a plan to break out Tachi out of jail and they were talking about using commando style, uh, people, everybody linked that together. So as far as we know, that, that part of the story is just not there. You know, mm. this guy, this commando or ex-commando, he doesn't know Tachi. And as far as we know, he's never been... Uh, you know, they never informed, you know, could you work for us or something like that. But, I mean, the thing is with black ops, they do all off the book. Mm. So, of course, they also get into the shady territory of international, you know, yeah, how do you get arms? And he, was, he told the story that he was working on like a, a training facility in Suriname in Latin America, a, a former colony of the Netherlands. Uh, and so this is just this wild story, uh, and the request that Ines Besky as, you know, did in the defense of Tachi was like, listen, we, we want to, uh, hear this guy. We want to interview him, you know, because if this is true, you know, the rights of my clients, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, uh, those requests are still pending. So she was arrested after making that request? Yeah, she was arrested two days later. And that was, you know, the, the timing of that arrest mm. seems to uh, be coherent with the planning of the court because they had planned to, that, you know, that Friday she got arrested, that, that would be the last day of his trial. And he, you know, over here, you if, if you're the defendant, you get to have the last word. So you get to have the last say in your criminal case. So the idea was that that would be you know, the the final mm-hmm. uh, Marengo Day for Tachi. But then he, because they did those requests and there was, you know, other a number of other formal legalities have to be uh, taken care of. So he said, you know, I don't want to do my last word yet. I might not do it at all. Maybe I want to do it at a later stage. And then, you know, this arrest of Ines Vesky was part of a plan where a couple of other people uh, were arrested. So... Um, yeah, they, apparently they didn't want to stop it. So, And that's why we're in this legal mess, mess now. Like, the black ops stuff is mad. But then this story, like <laughs> I mean, at the
1: same time, it's sort of like you could believe anything at this stage with all this stuff. It's the same in Ireland with a lot of the Kinahan stuff and the Regency and all these crazy things keep happening. And there's been a development of these conspiracy theories because there's so much crazy things mm-hmm. that seem to be latched on to yeah. what happened there. But to sort of stand back, and I'm an outsider here, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at this today and from what I'm talking to people, the chaos of this current position seems to have been because they arrested Enezboski. Why couldn't they have left her? Was this a matter of life and death? Why couldn't they have waited until after the trial or left at
0: finish? Those are all good, legitimate questions, but nobody wants to answer them. Mm. So... The, o- the only thing that you can think of is, you know, they had planned this uh, arrest of a couple of people. So uh, an, another old associate of Tahi was arrested in the Dominican Republic the week before uh, the arrest of Ines Vesky. A nephew of Tahi was arrested on the same Friday as Ines Vesky was arrested, and this nephew... His name is Anwar. He's also an, an old, familiar character in this whole mm-hmm. story because he has been arrested before in relation to the murder of Derek Wiesem. Mm-hmm. He was a lawyer, and he was the lawyer of the deal witness that you know spilled his beans about Tahi to uh, the police and, uh, and, and the district attorney's office. So um, my best guess is that they thought, you know, this is all over, and if there's a little bit of this left, we just have to do what we have to do. And It's more
1: comfortable to think that they had pre-planned this and it was just... Yeah, I, yeah. I because d- it's
0: very uncomfortable to think that the other that there, is possible there, in this world, surely? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, the thing is, you know, you have this, like, cliché, uh, you know, if you make this up for a story and try to make it into a film, nobody bo- you know, they'll send you back to the drawing board. Um, I mean, we're way past... <laughs> That cliche. You know, so much stuff mm-hmm. has been going on. You know, I, I, we, were, we were there, and I told you, you know, the first like, day that this trial started in March in, in, in this weird courthouse because mm-hmm. you've seen it now. I mean, nobody would think, you know, yeah. if you're an outsider, nobody would think mm. this is a courthouse. No. Uh, and that's, you know, going on to five and a half, six years that it started. And if you look at what happened ever since, uh, yeah, nothing of this mm-hmm. would have been, you know, predictable or would have sounded relevant or you know imaginable. So three people dead, you mm-hmm. know, in the circle around a deal witness, um, you know, an, an attempt to uh, escape from the only uh, supermax prison we have, um, you know, an attempt to uh, bribe or uh, kidnap uh, wardens of that supermax prison to see if you can organize your, you know, uh, negotiate your way in and out. What we've forgotten is, you know, there's a threat on the Dutch prime minister. Yeah. There's a threat on the uh, the, royal the royal family. Yeah. Uh That they could be kidnapped Mm. Uh, also as, you know, hostage negotiations is the only thing I can think of. Um, And that those things are not just, you know, like suspicions or uh, like, you know, made up wild theories. But in Belgium, Mm. they have tried to kidnap the, the Secretary of Justice. And they were really close. They were there, you know, at 100 meters of his house and because a few uh, uh, smart neighbors saw this car and they couldn't place it. These guys uh, that that were there were arrested. And they were Dutch, by the Mm. way. Uh, And they had everything you need to kidnap somebody. So that this is not, you know, scenarios in our head, but that they're real in the real world, that's sort of clear. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess this is the crime world in 2024, 23. It is, there's no doubt about
1: that, but interesting a parallel between Taggy and Daniel Kinnahan because he created a narrative, a conspiracy theory, shall we say, put it out there in a book, a movie, um, <clears throat> to say that the government of Ireland tried to kill him that mm. day in the Regency. So is that a mindset? Is it possible that your guy has somehow managed to create this web that looks as if, or that suggests the possibility there was a Black Ops state-sponsored plan to kill him? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I can't go any further now with this because I was going to say, or is it possible that there is a (laughs) state-sponsored plan to kill some of these guys that have gone out? We have to just... Go on a holiday. This is ridiculous. Now, I, I mean, I, if, you, if
0: I go back I'm to... I'm choking myself into a, into a movie plot. Yeah. If, but if I go back to uh, September 2019, so that's when the country's in shock because there is a lawyer who represents yeah. a deal witness in the biggest trial running at that point, uh, is shot and killed. Mm. And this is not the first killing. This is the second killing because before there was a brother... Of this same deal witness who was murdered. A brother, by the way, who had been warning the government for a year. You guys are crazy. You shouldn't do this. You're bringing me and the rest of my family in complete danger. There will be people uh, paying a price for what you're doing. And in the end, that's the sinister backstory. He paid the price. So, but then in September 2019, the country is in total shock. And the main suspect of the biggest court case pending at that point is you know he's he cannot be found for over you know two yeah a year and a half two years running um so at that point, if you think about it and you're you know you're working for the government and you're thinking about what are we gonna do that you sort of in a meeting and have the thought, what are, what are our most extreme options on both sides? That is something else. Talking about that is something else than actually mm-hmm. planning it. Mm-hmm. And, and actually planning it is something else than actually doing it. Those are three really things. But, you know, talking about it is something I, you know, a far-fetched scenario. I can, okay. It's far-fetched, but okay. Mm. Planning it, government doing something like that, I would... I would... I would have to see it on paper. I would have to, you know, see it like... A, or hear a recording of that meeting to believe it. Uh, doing it, for me, is out of reach. I, I, you
1: know, that's it's totally. I mean, and yet, every year that goes by with all this sort of stuff
0: comes something else that you couldn't imagine happening Maybe previous yeah, year. That's, true. that's So that's... So that's also the... It's the weird and the scary part, you know, because... We were there and, you know, it's also when you have a foreigner, you know, foreign eyes with mm. you, new eyes with you, um, you, I also tend to look at the scenery for a second time mm. or, you know, the 10th time. And, thing. and we were just talking there, like next to these heavily armed guys yeah. with masks on in their uniforms. It's like 25, 30 degrees. They must be sweating their balls off. Mm. And, <laughs> uh I'm just standing there, pretending that they're not there mm. I remember going to the first trial where there was military police i was I was like, Wait, what's going on here? You know it's like well, that was intimidating, just because there was all these people with guns, and i never I never see guns I don't know mm. how this is in your no, world but we don't. um and you know so and then we write about these things and then you're there. And then when, you know, like the first day of the tahi trial that there was actually, you know, military police hanging out of a helicopter, watching him safely driven into that uh, uh, courthouse. That was also like a scene from a movie. Uh, but then like four years down the line, we're there and you just like, you know, it's like the normal thing in the world. And that's sort of... That scares me. They're creating because, the new normality, yeah, aren't they? Th- that's sort of scary because mm. that's what it is. Mm. And, you know, and, and, um, and, yeah, you take all kinds of precautions. You can never that, go back then. No. Once that's done,
1: you sort of cross yeah. that line in the sand and you're on to the next. And then you wonder sometimes, which is really even more uncomfortable, are we equipped to be doing what we're doing now against this sort of
0: thing, you know? Yeah, that's the scary part. And in some ways, you know, if. if yeah, if they would target you,
1: mm.
0: uh, is there a way to defend yourself? No. I mean, there is, you know, in general, there is some form of system in place that is, you know, to be able to react quickly if there's a credible threat. Uh But if they decide now to take you out and they want to do it tomorrow. Is the state big enough
1: against them, you know?
0: Yeah, no, there is no.
1: Mm.
0: Um And I actually, you know, I was, I am, you know, because I knew you were coming here and because there's some other stuff I'm doing, I'm, I'm reading really more closely and, and listening more closely about the Kinehans. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the whole story of Veronica Geirin came back. And actually in Ireland, it happened 25, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, 96, 97? Yeah. 96, it happened. Yeah,
1: it did, They uh, did it. Yeah.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe because, you know, the whole IRA history, you guys are a little bit more used to this type of violence than we are. And we had our bout with terrorism and, and in the 70s and in the 80s, um, but not to the level that a journalist was killed mm. because she was doing her work, because that's in the end why she was killed, at least as, as far as I understand the story. Mm. Um, and, but that made me think, geez, yeah, in some ways, you know, the scary part is that in some ways it's not so far-fetched as you think it is. No, and
1: you know it's happened here. Of course, we're going to go and see where it happened here as well. But um, yeah, it's uncomfortable to even think about all that. Yeah, we I sort know. of float through these days. And but I mean, I think at the same time, I think if the state is operating robustly, none of these guys are bigger than any state. They can't be in this modern. Europe we live in they cannot be bigger they have to be I think manhandled more so than maybe our liberal justice system allows and then of course that brings up all sorts of complaints from people and you know um, like is Taggy is he unique is he is there more of him out there you'd like to think he's unique and, like, we're sitting there today and he comes up on the screen and he doesn't, like, he, he's, he's a normal, he's a human being.
0: Yeah. You could pass him on the street. Yeah. Is he unique? I think this is, you know, as far as history goes, this is a unique case. Mm. And I've always said, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to really find out and understand whether this was, like... Uh, a very extreme deviation of what is the normal, or um, maybe he this case and and his role in this case has set a new normal mm. um, what is not so unique and in that sense, Ireland and the Netherlands you know have uh, in the history of 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 the underworld and uh, crime related to uh, drug related crime there's quite a bit of parallels you know we 're relatively small countries we're depending on you know trade and and you know uh, being having good relationships with our neighbors um, and if you look at how that has helped the underworld in establishing what they have established over the years then There is a a number of parallels, and I think the main thing now is that um, crime organizations from Ireland and the Netherlands play a huge role in international drug trafficking. And the, I mean mm. that's the reason why we talk on of our ways in a way. No but the reason why we talk on and off is yeah. because there is, you know, these all mm. these relationships between so, you know, one of one of the, the 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 people the central people in the organization of Tahi was arrested in Dublin, you know, a number of members of the Kinahan uh, mm. crime group have lived and, and, and operated from the Netherlands. Christy Kinahan himself, mm-hmm. I think, has lived in Amsterdam for a couple of years. Uh, so there's all these links between... Um, and, you know, what made this big was the cocaine trade. In the end, what made this a monster was the cocaine trade. And I have no idea how to... You know, if that, I don't think that is ever going to go away. Mm. And I think, you know, all these groups, they've made so much money. So now I hear stories and see stories that, you know, the port of Rotterdam and Antwerp, they're, you know, they're guarded so heavily now that they they attract so much attention. Ah, They're going to Sweden. Mm. And I hear, oh, Portugal is a good opportunity as well. But that doesn't mean that Dutch criminal groups are not involved anymore or are rooted in the Netherlands. Crime groups rooted in those are not involved anymore. They just bring their shit to a different port, mm-hmm. but the conflict that can arise from all this will still come back to the Netherlands, as it does come back to Ireland mm-hmm. all the time. So the fact that it's you know that smuggling is not physically or uh, in you know uh, your country does not mean that you don't uh, reap the negative benefits mm-hmm. of that crime, and I think. I have a feeling, you know, authorities, they think, oh, we have this big problem, we have to bring it down. And then, so as long as we can, you know, prevent them from smuggling through port, we're good. Mm. I doubt that. I no, seriously doubt absolutely that. Absolutely not. And,
1: and actually, you know, if you then look... It is like that story of the little girl with the finger in the dike,
0: isn't it? Yeah. Was that a little girl or a little boy? Little boy. It was a little boy. Yeah. It's like Ain't, that. You you know? I mean, it's it's really, if you look at the history of the Kinahan clan... I mean, they have been longer in this business than all these guys in the Netherlands. Um, and so what you see is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you know, they're always in the core. It's about smuggling drugs, trafficking drugs. And it changes uh, from the outside. So it, it, their business model changes or they have so much money, they've got to invest in something. But mm-hmm. in the end, it still seems, uh, remains the same. And, you know, if there's conflict, they resolve it by violence. So I'm afraid, you know, what's been going on in Ireland uh, will, will stay the same and it, and it will stay the same over here. Did
1: you feel today that I got the sense that the journalist sort of felt, you know, throwing their eyes up to heaven, that he had won something? He'd won a little victory. I mean, I was talking to the sketch artist who yeah. said he had his game face on, which I liked. The talk yeah, about. yeah. Um, he certainly was confident. He was sitting back in the chair. He gave the thumbs up at the end of the, the little visual we had yeah. of him from, from prison. Um, is it a game to him? Do you have any insight into his, the
0: mind of this guy? I find it really hard I because, you know, we have we knew very little about him when his character popped up as a main player in this crime world field, and we we've heard he hasn't he talked. So he, you know, he he was as a suspect. He was uh, interviewed by the police a number of times, and what you see there is that he's smart, he's witty, uh, he knows his position. So he said, you know, oh, why don't you just convict me right away and you know get rid of all this. You know I'm just a part of your showcase and uh just hand out the sentence and uh i'll do my uh I'll do my time thats so that kind of attitude but where this all comes from and you know how to understand it, I find it really difficult mm, because you really have to get into somebody's head and that's already difficult but if you you need to know a lot about somebody before you can do that and I do think you know he so He has, since the incident where, you know, they found out that he was plotting uh, a breakout, he has has been completely isolated, but he also isolated himself. So, basically, he has no contact with the outside world besides his lawyer. He cannot speak to anybody. He cannot talk to anybody. You mean by his actions he did that? Yeah. Yeah. By his, you know, Mm the plan to -hmm. try to break out, that obviously led to more... Mm. isolation in the prison he's in but i think he also isolated himself more so yeah. and then you know what happens in somebody's mind if you you know he has kids mm. so he is still a father and I, who am i to judge if he's a good or a bad father i just i think his kids have to do that but he is not in touch with them anymore so what does that do if you're in full isolation it's now going on to Four years, no, three years. And the only contact is you have on the days with you know talk with your guards and a phone call with your lawyer, and that's it for and three. And he's still years. surviving, and he's still fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah he's still so he's i mean he's definitely a strong character yeah that, that that's no doubt about that, but it also does something to some, some somebody, and I find that that's really hard mm. to understand what it exactly does, and what you what I've seen in in files and in court proceedings and in stories I hear from my sources is that he is extremely sharp in terms of trying to find that little rabbit hole Mm. in the system. So, and he puts everybody in that prison and around them on edge Mm. all the time. And, I, you know, sometimes there's this peril, you know, when you're a parent and you have young kids and you have arguments about screen time and, you know, the hour or the two hours or whatever it is, is up. And, you know, if you're tired... And it's like the 10th time, and they're asking. And you still have to cook dinner, and it's late. And you're like, oh, whatever, just watch. And I'm not wanting to compare him to a child, but what he does is he wears people out. And that at one point, they say, you know, this is not allowed, but whatever. And I'll, I'll make it, you know, an example. So if you're in this jail, you can talk to family and people, but everybody has to be screened. So if you want to be on the phone list, um, you have to be screened. And then if you're screened and if it's okay, you can have a phone call. So if you're in there, you say, okay, I want to call my mother. Then the prison guard dials the number that has been listed for the number uh, for the mother. And then the mother has to pick up the phone and there has to be some form of identification that she is really the mother. And then the phone is handed to him and he can talk with his mother for 10 minutes. What happened a couple of times was that besides the mother, there was also a sister mm-hmm. on the line. Mm-hmm. So what they, they opened you know, a phone and then there was a second phone call and then guards, as soon as they find out that there is not one but two persons, they have to close down the phone call because it's not allowed. But from what I heard and understand, it happened numerous times. and It makes me think, okay, you know those guards? They're on edge. They're worn. They're tired, and they think, oh, "What does it matter?" Because his mother is on the line. She screamed. His sister is on the line. She screamed. So, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And that's where you know the system sort of cracks. And and he has found his way. He's like mercury, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And 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 then he's he just tries to find his way out. And he is never-ending energy. To fight the system, uh, yeah. to try and uh, yeah.
1: break the system to, to whatever. To, 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 and the system is almost choosing
0: its battles with them. And in fact, it needs to battle everything with them. But what you saw today was the system mm. saying, okay,
1: yeah.
0: you know, if you want to do this behind closed doors, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Um, and that there is a group of journalists irritated and annoyed and maybe they're in their right to be irritated and annoyed. Small price to pay. That's how I I mean I can't get irritated and annoyed about this anymore. I have I wanna put my energy in other stuff. because there's nothing I can, you know. You so it looks like he's about. delayed the case that the, the yeah, verdict that's won't be October. Definitely definitely that much you can kinda of say. I would I would be very so the, you know, the court plans to uh read their verdict twentieth uh, of October or twenty second of October. I, I have my doubts, mm. uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be December or. Has March. he looked for the case to be thrown out at all? No, he's never tried that. So, well, I, as I said before, he has said, you know, a number of times, you know, why don't you just also against the judge, you know, the 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 chairman of the of the court, you know, why don't you just pull that verdict out of your uh, mm. inner pocket and just read it out to me, and then we know, you know, because we we know that you're gonna. You're gonna convict me for life, and reality of the case is, if it comes to the material evidence, he's never answered any questions. So uh, that uh, you know, if you're a little bit experienced as a, as a court watcher, you know that if suspects do that, they don't, they cannot explain away what is all there. So I think it's fair to say that everybody assumes that he's going to be convicted for life. Mm. Is there a chance he could walk? No. I have have zero doubt about that. Mm. Um, And
1: how would somebody like him react to that when the game is up, when he no longer has any more cracks to find?
0: um, What people are worried about is that, you know, so there's going to be an appeal. Uh, so it's gonna take another three years or whatever, and then uh, at one point when that appeal is up, you're gonna to go to the highest court, you know, appeal it to, uh To Europe, definitely. Uh, and then to Europe, yeah. But I mean, that's like really, really far out. Yeah. Um, but then after, you know, so if you look at trials against similar characters, after that appeal is up, then there's an no appeal in the high court, but that's all that's on paper. So there's no sessions, there's no public hearings, there's nothing. Yeah. So at one point you, you so you go to the High court and then a year or two years later, they've there's a verdict and that's it. But then you're out of the public eye. And what people are worried about is that as soon as he is out of the public eye, what will happen then? And I think a lot of people are convinced that they have to keep their guard up. But as soon as you're out of the public eye, keeping your guard up becomes more difficult, especially for somebody who's always looking. And if if he um, can stay strong mentally, um, I think there is people who say, you know, you can never let your guard down. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, once you let your guard down, you know, he is in a supermax prison, but yeah, the European uh, treaty uh, for human rights says you cannot keep somebody in isolation for the rest of his life. That's inhumane. Um, so, at one point, you know, if everything calms down, what so, age is he now? Huh? What age is he? He is from seventy-seven, November seventy-seven. So, so forty-four. Yeah. No, no, no. Forty. He's turning forty-six this 46. year. I do get that wrong. I can't but I mean, about forty-six. You know, if he has a healthy, yeah. I mean, we're talking 30 yeah. thirty-plus years. Mm. That's a long time. But it's also a long time to keep your guard up. Uh, so I think you know what. What. what um, you know, people who work in, in. And I suppose that's before you think about who's coming under him
1: or who's. You know, you look at Chapo, Chapo Guzman, and uh, the sons.
0: And what's occurred there? Yeah. Um, well, so. they're afraid of. I mean, the, the government's obviously <coughs> afraid that um, something like that is going to happen. And you know, uh, in the public case, you know, the case about against his nephew lawyer, um, that the nephew lawyer got convicted for like five years in prison. Um, being part of a criminal organization, and members of that criminal organization are two of his sons and a number of other, a few more family members. So they're obviously worried about how that is going to develop. And I have to say, you know, you can be convicted as a member of a criminal organization, but not be... uh, Sorry, you can, you know, if, if somebody gets convicted for a criminal organization, and there is a number of other members being named, it does not mean that you have to be prosecuted. So you can be named as a member of a criminal organization and never get arrested or prosecuted. So that's possible. Um, But it's obvious that they're afraid of, you know, how is this going to develop? And um, will his organization, as it was before he got arrested, will I think people are convinced that it's not broken, that it's still functional. And what will happen once he has, you know, the whole procedure again legal procedure against him is finished? What will happen then? And uh, I think and I think in that sense, you know, we come back to the hands again. I wouldn't be surprised if they were really worried about that scenario. It's like um European narcos, obviously. Yeah. But it's like
1: series one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, the next and the
0: next and the next. And and there, yeah, and then there's, you know, um, what I always find fascinating and scary at the same time is, you know, you know that the underlying business model of these kind of groups is out there. So, you know, I always... I'm a former finance reporter, so I always, you know, relate to numbers. To Tahi was uh, arrested in late 2019, in 2021, and in 2022, the ports of Rotterdam and Antwerp, who, according to the authorities, should be seen as one, and eighty percent of what is trafficked. Drugs traffic to Antwerp is for Dutch-rooted uh, criminal organizations, but in those two years, a record amount of cocaine was intercepted—160,000 kilos each year. So, you take one—you know—you take one of those suspected uh, ringleaders out, the business model doesn't stop. Uh, actually, it's in terms of interceptions, it's gotten worse. So the flow of cocaine is not becoming smaller, it's becoming bigger. Um, so the amount of money that can be made with trafficking cocaine is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. The amount of people that I hear talking about using cocaine is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. So that business model is there and it's going to stay and you there. And wonder what has to happen
1: for people to start connecting, joining the dots. What do you mean? Like for people to start joining the dots about taking it and the hundred quid going right up the chain, right into the pocket of
0: Taghi and and Kinahan. It doesn't seem to... No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I don't think, at least I can't speak for Ireland or other countries, but I think in this country, uh, that idea that people feel responsible for... uh, You know, when they're doing drugs, Mm. feeling responsible. I always compare it to, you know, you have a dinner party, you go to the supermarket, and uh, there's 10 people, and you need X amount of meat. And you look at the price of the bio chicken, and you look at the price of regular chicken, and you think 10. Most of us, especially, I mean, we cannot complain about our pockets, but for people who have, you know... Mm. Don't have a lot of money. They will go for cheap chicken. And that's the same thing. I also, you know, I, I, I have teenage kids. And when I, I mean, I talk a lot with people, with politicians, with people in the police. And I always say, you know, listen, I talk to my kids and I know I can tell them not to do it. Don't do drugs. Don't, you know, uh, drink yourself uh, into a, a, a coma every weekend. Please don't. It's not good for you. But if you do use alcohol or drugs, you know, do it in a in an environment where you're comfortable, where you know people. If you do things that you've never done before, you know, if you drink gin, don't drink half a bottle, but drink one glass first. If you do an ecstasy pill, don't think, don't take a whole pill. Take half a pill. And be aware of that sometimes it could take an hour or maybe two before, you know, you feel the effects. That's how I, because I know I can tell them not to do it. Mm. And they point at me and when I'm with a beer in my hand, what are you doing then? So, you know, that's a hard discussion. But then I talk about, I talk to all these people, politicians, and and I say, listen, if you look from a point of view of money, if my kids are going to a festival, and I hope they do, and I hope they have a lot of fun, um, a beer is five euros, maybe six a pill is also five Euros, maybe ten. And a beer lasts them half an hour, an hour, and that pill is gonna last them half a day. So if you're that kid of seventeen or nineteen, then what proposition are you gonna take? And so you could say don't do it and but it, we've been saying that for fifty years because it's illegal. Fighting and it didn't help. <laughs> yes, so yes. so you know, I I so I I'm very I'm very skeptical about... So I'm not... I'm a non-drug... I, I drink. I'm a non-drug user. I can I can say for myself, I haven't smoked a joint. So the, I've been stoned once. I went to a festival, at the Drum Rhythm Festival in Utrecht, like 30-some years ago. And there were so many people smoking wheat and and hashish that I got stoned. <laughs> and I found out the next day and I was like... I'm making coffee. And I was like, wow, this is a weird smell. <laughs> so, But... Um, so I can, you know, for, for me, it's not a thing. Uh, and I, I don't want to judge other people for whatever they do. It's, it's you know, I'm in that sense, I'm a real liberal. Um, but I do think, you know, we need something else. We, we mm. need, like, this, if we keep going, just talking about, you know, fighting this type of crime without, like, asking ourselves... The question: you know, How are we going to deal with this? If this keeps getting worse and worse, how are we going to deal with this in ten or fifteen or twenty years? It's scary. Uh, it's really scary, and um, I don't. I don't see in my country. I don't see that there is a, that debate is non-existent, <laughs> and that's what worries me. And I'm and also like you know, if you, there's people who say legalize. Um, I wish it was that simple. Yeah, but it's, it's not, not that simple. Because those people who are making millions and millions and yeah. millions of euros, because some politician says, you know, it's legal, they're not going to give up no, they're not. that money. So they're going to fight back. So you, it's not that simple. If you look at, you know, what's happening in the States with legalizing uh, uh, wheat and marijuana, Um Former criminal organizations in states where it's legal fight back, and you know, you can produce legally there. But and also, what's you know, they'll just move into another drug. Yeah, all they do something. That's what you see in the Mexican cartels. You know, as soon as they couldn't make that the grow of uh, profit from cocaine was leveled out, Uh, they started crystal meth. Yeah. Yeah. Then they started fentanyl. And, and look at what kind of problem the states... I mean, if you look at the number of people dying from an, uh, an opium overdose in the states, I, don't, I didn't look them up, but I think it's about 100,000... 100,000 a year, I think. A year, maybe even more. And it's like after heart disease and car accidents, it's the third cause of death statistically in the country. And, I mean, you know, there is a whole story behind that as well, I know. But you have to relate to this problem in a different way than just saying it's not allowed and we're going to prosecute everybody who sells it because it didn't bring us anywhere. You know. Uh, and that's something else than saying, you know, just legalize it because it's, well, as I said, that's, that's, we probably agree, it's mm-hmm. a way more difficult than that. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's... How did we come here talking about Tachi? <laughs> well,
1: we, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you start talking about these guys, and you end up talking about the world because yeah. they're not just from the little community in Utrecht or wherever he was from, and the Kinhans are from a little part of Dublin, but they're actually this global phenomenon, and it does bring the world together in all the bad ways.
0: Yeah, that's the, that's one of the, the fascinating parts. Mm. How you know ethnic or national communities who have spread out all over the world. Um, They have managed to, like, make this web of relationships all over the world and how they use that uh, to their advantage. Because in that sense, you know, I mean, is there a country in the world where there is no Irish community uh, living there because they were looking for a better life? Uh, Yeah, there's Dutchies all over the world. There's There's no borders for them. They just, absolutely. I mean,
1: but look, we won't solve it. But we'll go for dinner, will we? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, Leave us a review or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on,